All right. Well, yeah, again, good morning. Um, if you are new with us, my name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about truth. Now, my family and I watched this uh, documentary called The Social Dilemma this week. I don't know if anybody has seen that yet. It's kind of a big deal on Netflix. A lot of people are talking about it. So the idea behind this documentary is uh, you have all of these former executives from these social media companies talking about what they have learned about the effects of social media over the years. And often uh, things that were very well-intentioned that went really badly, um, and all of the ways that that is negatively impacting us. Many of those, you know, you probably are aware of. One of the things that was kind of emphasized in this is the, how prevalent disinformation is or false information is in social media. Uh, again, probably not something new to you. One of the things that I found interesting in the documentary that I read later in a, an MIT research study was this idea that false information, specifically on the platform Twitter, uh, they didn't look at necessarily all of the platforms for this for various reasons, but on Twitter especially, uh, false information spreads six times faster than truth. So when they say false information, what they mean is uh, inaccurate information that's presented as fact or, um, or I'm sorry, inf inaccurate information that's presented as truth or opinion that's presented as fact. That's what they mean by false information. It spreads six times as quickly as what's true. Why is that? Well, according to the researchers, while they can't know for sure, the best they could figure was that false information is likely more widespread because it plays on salacious or controversial elements in ways the truth typically cannot. So it plays on salacious or controversial elements in ways the truth cannot. Um, so you know how this works, right? It's kind of how tabloids work. You see something that looks really interesting, and you're kind of like, I don't know if I can really buy that, but I really want to read that article, right? Because things that aren't necessarily dependent on all of the facts can, can be twisted in a way that draws us in, that plays to kind of our baser nature. And, and the people who gain financially from more views, profit from sending this out as widespread as possible. And so the result is, we have lots of false information out there. And it becomes really difficult to know what we can believe and what we can't. Deb Roy, who is the director of MIT's Laboratory for Social Machines, that's a cool title, right? Laboratory for Social Machines, she points out that we're discovering polarization is a great business model. Polarization is a great business model. So, um, so what do we do about this? What do we do in a, an era when there's so much widespread misinformation? How do we think about the truth? So in, in this series that we're in, we've been calling it Primary, and what we're doing is we're realizing that we're in the midst of a really polarized political season, and we're trying to kind of wrap our heads around what does it mean to be people who follow in the way of Jesus in the midst of all of this? And so this morning, we're looking at this idea of truth, and what do we, how do we think about truth as followers of Jesus? And I, I think the, the first place we have to begin is to recognize that for followers of Christ, the truth is primarily not information, but a person. Not information, it's a person. In uh, John's gospel, uh, gospel, his uh, biography of Jesus, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. 
We believe that truth is ultimately embodied in the person of Jesus. He shows us what is true. What the, the most true things about the universe in which we live, we find in the person of Jesus. He is what truth looks like. Now, that might seem like an unhelpful way to begin, because usually when we're talking about truth, we mean like true information. I want to know the facts. But I do think that understanding that the truth is embodied in Jesus gives us a helpful framework as we kind of engage with these questions around how do we know what's true? How do we, how do we process or filter information? So I want to look at an example in John's Gospel this kind of climactic moment in the story of Jesus, where Jesus is brought before uh, the religious leaders and the governmental leaders to stand trial. And we see how kind of the truth embodied in Jesus plays off against some of these other powerful people, um, and even some not-so-powerful people, and how they think about truth. So we're going to look again at John's Gospel in chapter 18, and I want to read beginning in verse 19 through verse 40. So a little, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth dialogue, uh, but I think it's helpful to get a sense of this idea of like how we see truth interacting with, uh, between all of these different people. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, it's John 18, uh, beginning in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's lots of free Bible resources online. You can check it out there and follow along, or you can just listen. Again, beginning in verse 19. The high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? But he denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate the governor went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if you weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Je Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? No, they shouted back. Or, or but they shouted back, No. 
Not this man. We want Barabbas. All right, again, that was kind of a longer passage, but you see, I mean, it's a fascinating one, and we're, we're just going to kind of skim it. I encourage you to go back and read over it and think on it throughout the week. Uh, but it's a fascinating, I think, play of how truth is handled between Jesus, the one who embodies truth, and these various people. Um, so, first of all, we see Peter. And, and how does Peter deal with the truth? Now, Peter is one of Jesus' closest followers. He's arguably one of the most courageous, right? He follows Jesus to this point. But when it comes down to it, truth for Peter is used in a way that benefits him. As he fears for his life and his personal safety, he's willing to, to twist the truth to ensure that he protects himself. And he's very defensive, right? He kind of lashes out at the people who are questioning him. He's defensive. We also see this idea of defensiveness play out in the religious leaders as well, the, the one who slaps Jesus across the face. Jesus, on the other hand, is not defensive at all. He lays down his rights, even accepting abuse that he doesn't deserve. So as we see Peter and some of these religious leaders interact together, one of the things we, we can take away or we walk away, the question we have is, if someone or something is defensive, then perhaps we need to be wary. Regardless of what the facts are, if someone comes across as defensive with the information that they're presenting, they're not, they're not working for the truth. They don't love the truth. And then we see the religious leaders, and for the religious leaders, the truth is basically whatever serves to further their ideology, right? The truth is used as a way to kind of prop themselves up to, to serve their ideas, not to, not to learn from, not to be challenged by, not to be made uncomfortable. They're so committed to their ideas, to their ideology, that they're even willing to destroy someone who would call it into question. Jesus, on the other hand, is willing to sacrifice himself. In this interaction, we see that while the religious leaders are willing to destroy, truth is willing to self-sacrifice. So we learn that we need to be wary of those who are willing to destroy others, even if they wield facts, even if their information might be factually accurate, if they're using it in a way to bring destruction, they don't actually love the truth. Again, with the religious leaders, we see that they meet in secret. This isn't obvious as you kind of, if you kind of step back and, and look at a 30,000 foot view, uh, one of the things you see with the religious leaders is they're constantly kind of in and out of these secretive meetings. They're very much kind of working behind the scenes to figure out how they can take care of this problem. Jesus, on the other hand, points out that he's been very public this entire time. Everything that they're questioning, that they're asking about, is something that Jesus has dealt with publicly. So one of the interesting things we see in this interaction is that we need to be wary of truth that's found in secret, or of facts that are found hiding in secret. That if, if someone is offering some version of the truth that's secretive, that we kind of have to dig around, maybe kind of dive to the far corners of the internet to find, we need to be cautious of that, because the truth loves to be in the light. If someone's being secretive, it might be factual, but... Do they really love truth? 
And then finally, at least for these observations, one of the things we see with Pilate is that truth is wielded as kind of a tool to, to maintain order, power for himself. He uses the information that he has for his own benefit, to prop up himself and his, his power. Jesus, on the other hand, surrenders power. What we believe is that Jesus is God in the flesh, the most powerful one in all of the universe, and yet he gladly lays that down. So when we see truth, facts used as a way to hold on to power, we need to be wary, we need to ask questions, we need to be cautious, because in Jesus, truth is embodied as one who doesn't hold on to power, but lets it, holds it lightly, even is willing to sacrifice it. Again, if, if Jesus is the one who embodies truth, as we watch Jesus interact in this situation, we see that while facts, you know, it's one thing to have facts, but facts can be wielded in ways that aren't out of a love of truth, but simply a desire for power or self-protection or even self-comfort. But truth is less about having the right information, though the right information is important, but truth is less about do you have all the facts and more about a way of being in the world. Jesus reveals truth as a particular way in which we engage the world around us, that we live. But if that's true, then what do we do about, like, you know, how do we discern what's the right information? How do we, how do we, how do we know when we read that article on the internet what's true and what's not? And I wish I had a really great answer for that, that you could just kind of use 100% of the time. I mean, I think there's wisdom to be employed um, as we kind of take in information. But I actually think one of the things that Jesus points us to is that the key, that the thing that we're looking for as people who are living in the way of Jesus in the world is not simply getting the right information but living in the right way with the information that we receive. Jesus embodies truth as a way of being in the world, not just right information. So maybe another way of asking what is true, rather than just factual, is maybe even asking the question, what is wise? How do we live as people who are wise in the midst of this current moment? Jesus' half-brother James and leader of the early church, talks about wisdom this way in James chapter 3. He says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and, and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of justice. Wisdom is about a way of being in the world. It's about how we are positioning ourselves in the world in which we live. Wisdom is asking the question as we receive information, does this information move me toward being good and doing good, not just for me and my people, but for all people? Does this information move me towards being more peaceful, gentle, merciful, and just? And if it does, then it's moving me towards truth. And if it doesn't, then I need to be wary. 
Because even if I have my facts straight, I'm not living truthfully. I'm not living with wisdom. The facts certainly matter. But how we engage the information we receive, how we live in the world around us, is what's most important. It's what we learn from Jesus. Again, this moves back to we believe that truth is not just right information, but the per- a person. Truth is embodied in Jesus. And living in the truth is learning to live in the way of Jesus, positioning ourselves like Jesus in the world. So as we kind of bring this time to a close and, and move into a final worship song, I think the question that I'd, I'd love for us to think about is, do you love truth? Or do you love being right? Do you love truth? Or do you love being right? You know, um, I, it's no surprise if you know me, if you've been around at all, I, I'm a basketball fan. And I love engaging in the conversation about who is the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? And of course the answer is LeBron. Um, And I have the mic, so I just get to say that and move on. But I notice about myself in this conversation, I am not particularly interested in learning all of the rationale behind why people argue for Michael Jordan. I'm just not that interested in it. I'm more interested in shoring up my case for why I already know that LeBron James is the GOAT, right? And so when I watch, you know, sports uh, personalities on YouTube, uh, I am not looking around broadly for all the different views on who's the best. I'm finding the people who are already telling me what I currently believe, that LeBron is the best. And so when I see my feed, this is one of the things we learn in the social social dilemma that's really encouraging, is that the more that you watch on whatever platform you use, the more that it learns about you, and so it just feeds you more stuff that agrees with what you already believe, right? And so, uh, you know, my feed is full of people who are encouraging me to continue in my belief that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. Now, I believe that already, so it's okay. But I'm not interested in listening to the other argument. I'm just not. Because I know what I think, and I want to be right. Now, in basketball, when it comes down to LeBron James, Michael Jordan, it doesn't really matter. Who cares, right? The problem is, we we often enter into things that matter with that same attitude. We're not looking to learn. We're not looking to grow. We're not looking to be challenged. We just simply want our ideas affirmed. We want to fortify our defenses, to get more information to wield as weapons against the people who might come against us. We're not looking to know the truth. We're looking to be right. Jesus says in uh, John 18, verse 37, All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Do we love the truth or do we love being right? I think we often avoid what's true because it makes us uncomfortable. We just want to be right. I think that's what we see with that's what we see with the religious leaders, it's what we see with Pilate. They weren't interested in really understanding what was true at the bottom. They simply wanted to be right. But as Richard Rohr says, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. And I think as people who follow Jesus, the invitation is to trusting him with our well-being enough to be made uncomfortable. To enter into life in such a way that we're not defensive, we're not attacking those who would come against us, 
but we're holding things lightly, trusting that the truth that we, we come to know embodied in Jesus will lead us to life. And so as we engage with different information, we, we do that in the spirit of Jesus. We do it wisely, but we recognize that what's most important is not simply parsing out who has the right information, but are we living rightly in the world? Are we living wisely? Are we living in the way of Jesus? Do we love the truth, or do we love being right? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to move into a, a final song together this morning. Father, um, I confess that quite often, and in more ways than just you know, the basketball conversation, I love being right more than I love what's true. I think that's probably true for a lot of us. Would you help us to recognize that in you we find the truth, Jesus? That you embody for us what it means to live in the truth. And would you help us to be people who want not just to be right, but to live rightly, to live in the truth. And so we live as you lived. Not using facts and information as weapons against others but entrusting you with our lives, being people who live for peace and mercy, for what is good, not just for us, but for all people, living for justice, embodying truth beyond just right information. Help us to live in the truth this week and in the weeks and months and years to come. We ask in the name of the one who is truth, Jesus. Amen.